least announcements aren't boring anymore. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so hopefully everybody has an outline. Uh, it's called The Resistance of the Righteous. Uh, this is a sermon that I have not wanted to preach at all under any circumstances. I, I, I just don't like to mix the politics and pulpit very much. I'm sort of, matter of fact, it's just sort of loathsome for me. But I'm growing up a little bit. And uh, so I'm just kind of speaking with fear and trembling here because uh, I just think that um, there's a lot of things that uh, people aren't paying attention to with regard to their walk with the Lord that could solve a lot of problems. Maybe the most significant of which is praying, interceding, actually believing that their prayer makes a difference in our, our government. And um, so we're going to have that uh, a prayer meeting, a great national day of prayer. I say a great day in national prayer because it's really just been sort of an asterisk of most people's calendar. But for me, it's one of the most important uh, days of the year when at last the church turns their attention to dealing with the real issues, which is the supernatural powers and principalities superimposed over willing hosts, politicians, musicians, even churches, whatever, you know. And um, so that's our real problem. And, uh, and God has given us the ability to touch into those realms. The moment we say our Father, we can begin to go down that list there of all the rest of the Lord's Prayer, and it covers every category of situation we find ourselves in, right? So if I talk about the resistance of the, uh, the, the righteous, I think that's just probably the primary place I think we should be going, and it grieves me a little bit that people get so involved in all kinds of political things and never really pray or have any kind of significant prayer life in their life. It just seems to me a little bit backwards, and uh, I think we've got a lot more people praying these days, and, uh, and it's too bad it took the tragedies of what we're seeing around us and the fall of our culture and the issues of the pandemic to bring us to that place, but now here, uh, and I think a lot of us have been transformed with our prayer life, I'm even praying a little bit more than you used to, okay, <laughs> hands went up instantly, right? So that's a good, good thing, and it means really bad things for the devil and every demonic thing and every every uh, antichrist uh, spirit out there and every bad actor in our politics or religion or anything, right? It uh, spells a lot of doom for that, right? So this is really, really good. And uh, I want to read from ele Psalm 11. This passage struck me as I was reading through it the other day. In the Lord I take refuge... How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's, uh, this is thousands of years old, so this evidently is not a new thing, right? But look at verse 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I believe that's a central question. For us. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to talk about it very, very much as an expert. Uh, I was, uh, the expert part of this for me would be uh, just re gathering a hold of God and praying together, interceding. When a national day of prayer, for example, comes up, we just don't go, oh, well, that would be nice. You know, Maybe I'll come, maybe I won't. But uh, we see an, an opportunity to pray, intercede on a collective basis. We take, take it serious because we know that God changes things. When a husband and wife are believers and Christians and they live and go to the church and stuff but never pray together, I just think that's uh, something the righteous could do that might be very, very effective. And even in their own relationship, trying to make sure that they get along so that their children will do well, right? And other really important things, right? So right now we have an attack on our foundations. And the grievous thing about it is that it's not just a, uh, an attack on... Uh, Values. It's an attack on our very government. It's an attack on our very households, our families. And the government thing is uh, serious because what governments of the world are supposed to do is protect people. They're supposed to be representatives of righteousness and represent the Lord. Our own government was formed because the governments in Europe stopped doing that. And so a new, more perfect union was formed. And now we find ourselves in the precarious position of our own government falling into the same trap with much of the same onerous edicts and problems and uh, meddling in individual lives and individual churches and so on that drove 
our forefathers here in the first place. And it seems that also um, our government officials have gotten amnesia about that and suddenly forgot why we came and what happened in the first place. And seemingly, though they studied at high-end schools, can't remember a thing that they learned about why we came, or maybe they never learned at all, which is the most grievous of all because our academic institution stopped even telling the truth about the origins of our country. Even the highest ones, the most prestigious ones, which you would think would know more than the others, actually seem to know less. So when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I wish I had like A, B, C, D, E, F answers to this, you know. We'd all settle it and we'd all be good, you know. But I'm a little confused like all the rest of you because it's very difficult, I think, to transition right now to see such utter failure at the systemic level. It's hard for me to cope with because I don't know that we've ever had to cope with this on this level before. And growing up in a fairly conservative uh, home, not fairly, very conservative home and in church all my life and stuff and, and seeing good things played out in my own family around me in my own neighborhood and own church and to see this dissolution is a little bit uh, disconcerting. How about you guys, you know? And maybe you didn't live in that kind of environment. You know, mine was a little bit more maybe pristine, I think, and because of the godliness of my parents and where we were and what we believed in, what we saw and how we lived honestly and all of that. But, but still, nevertheless, uh, it's really disconcerting. So I haven't wanted to preach this very much, right? First of all, I'm having a hard time defining righteousness right now, right? Except under the blood of Jesus. And so casting stones for me is uh, difficult, right? Because uh, I think you need to look at your own self and make sure that while you're throwing a bunch of stones around, uh, what's going on in your own life and how you're walking with God in the most intimate of your relationships. How are you treating your wife, your husband, or how are you treating your sons or your daughters? Right? How are you? Are you cheating at work? Are you? Are you handling your employees? Are Are you a, a man or a woman of integrity? Right. So it seems like to me that uh, when the foundations are being destroyed, part of what the righteous can do is be righteous again. <laughs> Start reading the Bible, obeying it, right, to the best of their ability. So it says in verse 4, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes every on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord exa- So you think the Lord's not examining. Uh, I think He's examining very, very much right now, right? The Lord examines the righteous, though. Us, or whoever knows the Lord, because, and are righteous because of Him. But the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. So He's examining us. But the wickedness... He hates with a passion. So if he's hating with a passion, I figure, well, maybe we better get on board with that part too, right? Right. As long as he can adequately define what the real wicked are, right? Not people who have a different personality than you. Maybe not people who necessarily are uh, wholly different politically. I mean, there's there's lots of range there, right? There's lots of range. You know, I, I know people that are a party that are different than mine, right? And they're very uh, righteous, godly people and good people. And they're scratching their head like this, like I am, right? <laughs> On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. So everything that's wicked, that's their lot. That's where they're going. So I think we could even show some compassion for them. Because if they don't change, uh, that's what's going to happen. Because the Lord does not love violence. He does not, he does not like wickedness. For the Lord is righteous, and what he loves is justice and the upright will see his face. So that's what I want. I'm voting for seeing his face. How about you guys? So if I see his face and I can see the truth, and also I can see healing and hope for me too, right, in the midst of my own sorrows and pains. He loves justice. So when the foundations are being destroyed, the key thing is, if you look at your eye, what can the righteous do? In our day, arrows are being shot from the shadows at the upright and heart right? Against all who follow the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly and against uh, all that they believe. You know, I, I just uh, think that's a critical thing. For the wicked, for look, the wicked, verse 2, bend their bows, they set their str- arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. So make no mistake, uh, that's happening right now, right? In uh, unprecedented ways. 
And so the hard thing is, uh, this is the thing that I just warn us all against. This is the thing that troubles me the most. So I hate arrogance in all its forms, right? Because I can see it percolating up in me. But before you get too arrogant about your position or belief, consider arrogance, period. It never leads to good places. Right? It only leads to more sin. So one thing I've been concerned about is, is we're resisting uh, is our own arrogance, right? Just sort of totally overlooking our own failures, our own mistakes, not even seeing anything, you know. And especially uh, while we're out trying, fighting for righteousness, not even um, really having any concern for the weak and the broken around us. And so this has been a time of transition for us. We've always been concerned for the poor at our church but uh, in the week, but now is an unparalleled time. And uh, by repeatedly uh, helping the weak, I feel like the Lord's really, really blessed us, but, uh, but it's been a blessing to be able to do that. And what I'm really realizing is that um, uh, if we have any kind of resistance uh, one of the things I think the first place we should start is just make sure we start with the weakest members of our culture and have some kind of compassion for them, right? And uh, and so the weakness is getting more and more pervasive because between the alcohol addictions and also the mental illness that we're experiencing, we're seeing a lot of even our own loved ones at risk together with the incredibly inflationary uh, pressures on our culture. It's just incredible, isn't it? Uh, where people who we thought would never be at risk to be out there alone are out there alone, sleeping in their cars and that sort of thing. And then think, one thing that has become extremely aware of uh, during this season is that um, a mental illness is more of a real thing than I ever uh, dreamed and uh, believed. And uh, one of the biggest problems that we have right now is we can see that certain alcoholic addictions and certain things like that can lead to the problems right, can lead to horrible mental uh, problems and anxiety problems and dysfunctional behavior. So addiction is not completely clear, but it's, it's a little bit more obvious. But the mental illness that people get afflicted with that has no uh, apparent root is really amazing. I never would have believed it. We always feel like when we see somebody on the street like that, it's got to be at least, you know, 50%, 60% their fault. But wonder if people, people can be afflicted without even a drug or alcohol and be in a mentally challenged place through some sort of physiology or whatever it is, emotional thing in the past. That's a scary thought. And so the more I've gotten into this and the more I've seen it, especially over the last several years, the more I realize that this is a far more complicated issue. It's not that you just hooked up to some drug because I'm finding a huge number of people that have no drug history or alcohol abuse and even really great parents. Amen. And then, of course, those that fall in the category of having a really rugged parents or family life, they're in that place too. But when you send, begin to see people on the street that are there because of mental illness, and then I'm looking at the church and I'm looking at our government, and we're desperately trying to find answers to this, but we're all drowning because we never thought that perhaps this could be uh, a little bit deeper, could be actually a little more biological than we first realized. And so coping with that has been an amazing thing. And uh, I think part of our resistance needs to actually make sure that whatever we do, however we resist uh, the difficult things in our culture, that we have this, a heart that's bigger than ever for the weak and the broken, regardless sometimes of how they even got there. Okay, it's your own dumb fault. Yeah, so how many times have you done things that was your own dumb fault? It's just that your dumb fault was probably in the wrong area. You probably shouldn't have done that dumb thing over there because it's caused you a lot of trouble in your job or whatever, right? Or your, whatever, your family or whatever, right? So I guess what I'm looking for is just uh, in my own life, uh, what when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I guess say uh, maybe the best thing we could do is show more compassion than we ever had in our entire life. But I do believe uh, that uh, we need to also uh, be political. I do believe the time's passed where we can be passive. So I, I say that to my own, uh, just, uh, I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it. 
Some of you are clapping. You like this area. I hate this area. And honestly, I don't have a lot of faith in what we do because I find some people on the far right, far left, whichever side you're on, fall into the same problems as the ones they hate. I hate it. I hate that arrogance. Wherever you smell arrogance, you have a problem. Right? God's humble. So you can do what you do out of conviction of your heart and not be arrogant. Somehow or another, people get caught up and they start drinking the the (laughs) Kool-Aid of pride and arrogance. And when they do that, they become big as a problem as anyone else. So I kind of, speaking, uh, I haven't said a thing I'm going to have on my outline yet. Because I'm just a little bit undone today about all this, you know. This abortion thing that came up, I think many of you know the California Assembly Health Committee on an 11 to vote, 11 to 3 vote, voted that uh, on legislation that would prevent women from being civilly or criminally liable for their pregnancy outcomes. So, for example, a woman uh, takes an illegal drug and it affects the baby negatively, and so there's no outcome of that, right? Or other things that are done, uh, you know, with the baby, and uh, and so not criminally liable, right? And and we can see all kinds of things where this leads. It basically leads that uh, if you just take this to its illogical uh, con- conclusion, right, and you keep extending and extending out, especially in the what they call the perinatal time, right? And so different groups define that as different, even even to some uh, uh, define it even as far as 28 days after birth, right? Right? That's what the big thing is, right? So if you define it that way, right? And so Wow. And so if you can affect that baby's welfare, even after birth like that, where are we headed? I think even the most callous observer think, well, this is some place we haven't gone before. And I'll tell you for sure, it's no place we want to go. And I think the church should resist this with all our might, however we can, right? So, okay. But I still don't feel easy about it. I, I feel uneasy about it. Maybe that's a good thing to do. Just uh, just make sure that whatever we do and how we approach this, uh, we have to do it as much as we can with you know, a place of humility. But when a mother, a boyfriend, a babysitter can, can uh, hurt or beat or shake a baby to death and no one investigates because it's a perinatal death, then you have a problem. Right? So that's what's kind of written into this, right? Okay, so this is a a big, big issue, right? And so uh, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? In our day, arrows, is A, on your outline, are being shot from the shadows at the upright in heart against those who, those who follow the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly and against all that they believe. And I don't have to go any farther than our school system. Right? I can't believe I've done it. Thank God I did. I, I, can't, believe, I can't believe it in the sense of that, like, if I was sat around and thought about it a year ago, hey, why don't you start a school? I would have looked at myself and said, you're out of your mind. Don't tell me that idea again. I already did that once, and that was a really fun time, and my kids were involved. We did a great job. It was great. But I don't ever want to do this again. But if you see what's being taught and the attitudes and the teachers' unions and all the rest, how can we not have school? How can we not do it, right? It's impossible. So, by God's grace, Amy, Matt, (laughs) we'll get through to ninth and 10th grade next year and the year after, all the way through high school, so. So that's how serious we're taking it. So when arrows are being shot right at the upright and heart, that's what you can do, right? And, uh, and it's important. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we should go back to our foundations and make sure we have a generation of kids that are taught well with the truth, right? Both sides of the truth looking at it, the truth, but from the God's Word and then also just practically and also what other people believe, right? It's so important in this time. And so we've gone to a great deal of time and effort to do this and uh, construction, by the way, which you haven't seen completely. You saw this redone. You saw the other side redone, but you haven't seen what's about to happen over there and over there because we're busy beavers. We're <laughs> building within this environment, which is almost impossible, which is incredibly expensive and it's an insane environment to try to build in, but we're doing it. Part of it is to pave the way for a, a, a wonderful uh, 
extension of our school. We're going to extend it so far that you can actually get uh, a college credit for t- taking stuff in our, in our, uh, in our school. And uh, it's just been amazing. So if you're a really uh, industrious little uh, uh, beaver you could, and, you, and you like school that much, you could test out of a full year of school or, or avoid a whole year of college just by staying in our high school and taking it from on our, on our campus. You don't have to go. We couldn't even do it at Saddleback where you can take classes as a high school student. We couldn't even do it there because it's so corrupt. So by God's grace, I say by God's grace, with Grace University, <laughs> interestingly enough, <laughs> we've made it so that kids can actually uh, actually get uh, education you know, with the classes that's possible right now as a high school and get credit, college credit before they even enter a college. And if you're really industrious and you really work hard and you've got to be pretty smart, I suppose you get two years done. You can actually start as a junior or a sophomore in, in college, right, and move ahead, all without having to go to a college as an eighth or ninth grader, you know, and, uh, and, and be, a, you know, exposed to stuff at an age that maybe you're not ready for, right? And uh, so, so in our day, um, uh, we're, we're going through all this. We're, um, I'm, saying, I'm not saying a, a thing I intended to say here. All right, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> All right, so let's try to go to point B. <laughs> when arrows are being shot at the righteous, the enemy is also shooting at everyone because he's the thief. And the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. God wants us Christians to unashamedly offer new life to the world in the form of truth, benevolence, and real power to overcome weakness, wickedness. <sighs> okay. I thought I'd never do this. Non-pharmaceutical measures for pandemic influenza in non-healthcare settings, personal protective and environmental measures. Where do you think this article came from? The CDC. Off their website. I used to be in med school. So I did a lot of book learning, but realized I didn't belong there and I became a pastor instead, but for the years I was there, right, and then pre-med before that, I got pretty good at reading stuff, right? So anybody can read this. This is off the CDC's website, made 2020. Disposable medical masks, also known as surgical masks, are loose-fitting devices that were designed to be worn by medical personnel to protect accidental contamination of patient wounds and to protect the wearer against splashes or sprays of bodily fluids. There is limited evidence for their effectiveness in preventing influenza virus transmission, either when worn by the infected person for source control or when worn by uninfected persons to reduce exposure. Our systemic review found no significant effect of face masks on transmission of laboratory-confirmed influenza. So somebody not telling the truth. So what the heck's going on? So I've known this since the beginning. That's why when we did church, I wasn't really that, you know. <laughs> I read this. This is from 2020 by May. Right? So this is a couple of years ago. And uh, so the con- in this discussion, we did not find evidence to support a protective effect of personal protective measures or environmental measures in reducing influenza transmission. Although these measures have mechanistic support based on our knowledge of how influenza is transmitted from person to person, randomized trials of hand hygiene and face masks, hand hygiene and face masks, have not demonstrated protection against laboratory-confirmed influenza. We did not find that surgical-type face masks are effective in reducing laboratory-confirmed influenza transmission either when worn by infected persons or by persons in the general community to reduce their susceptibility. However, however, as with hand hygiene, face masks might be able to reduce the transmission of other infections and therefore have value in influenza pandemic when healthcare resources are stretched. And it goes on and on. Okay. So this is from the CDC. This is your friendly CDC whose name is being reverently and wholly invoked around every turn. We're going to follow the CDC. Well, wow. Okay. I'll, I would love to follow the CDC. I just want them to tell the truth. Be honest. So once you lie to me one time, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to respond to that? It's very difficult. 
So again, we go back. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's our primarily concern right now. So, um, let's go to Roman number two. (laughs) Since I haven't said one thing I really intended to say exactly. I don't know if I'd have bold enough to read that, but anyway, the more I read it, the more mad I get, so I better stop doing that right now. Come over here. All right, look at Roman numeral two. The heart of the gospel message is the father's family. Our Father in heaven turns the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. If this does not happen, God says, I will come and strike the land with total destruction or in some versions, a curse. So it's so important. So you can imagine that the abortion of our kids or the way we're treating this and the attitudes, this is like right in the course of this, right? This is why divorce and abortion issues in our land are so important. It's a symptom of a whole nation rejecting God at the most fundamental level. And the question before all of us is, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? First, we don't do what the world does. Especially in the foundational relationships and issues of family and children, we resist and fight for God in His relational ways. Second, we must fight with weapons that are supernatural. This is really important. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. Did he want a house of prayer just because like, it's sort of this supernatural spiritual thing that we do and then we do that and that's just sort of our payment to God, some kind of recognition honor, and then we just sort of live the whole rest of our life you know, like whatever we want without any spirit of prayer or sense of God or whatever. We just do our time, put a coin in the bank, go to church, and then we go. You know, even the whole thing of go to church is like as if it's an institution. It, it's, it's us, right? But there are weapons, it turns out, that we can fight with, with us, right? These weapons are really important. Prayer, confession, and faith, and God's sufficiency. These are invisible things that should be engendered by church and church life, right? And the truth as well. Maybe a fond regard for the truth. That's why the government is having such a hard time with us. We like truth. And so if you don't like truth, it's no big deal. But if you love truth and you're raised in truth, then you want to know what the truth is, right? It's just natural to us. It's like fish in water. We swim in the water of truth (laughs) because we're supposed to believe the truth. And the Bible says you'll show know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So pardon me if I want to know the truth. Those pesky Christians, they're always digging where they shouldn't be digging. They're always talking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about. Why? Just leave it alone and trust us. They will tell you the truth and take care of you. And mama government will be everything that you need instead of Father God. I like Father God better. So here's some things before we get too puffed up. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So in our own speech and the way we do, we can't exaggerate. We have to tell the truth. Even in the name of prophecy, we can't exaggerate. Oh, God, just give me a little room because after all I'm prophesying, I'm kind of... And some people lie and prophesy at the same time. They're prophesying something that God didn't say. And it's the sad truth. And we know because much of what was prophesied even during this season did not happen. I'm sorry. Okay, so we've got to go back. Does that mean prophecy is bad? No, it's better than ever. we just got to make sure that we're committed to really trying to listen to God. And if we miss it, then we just say, I did it. I screwed up. And then we pat the guy on the back and say, okay. Good try. Okay, we're just going to keep praying until we find what God wants, right? And maybe God will give you another word and be a little more accurate next time, right? (laughs) We can do that. There's no experts in here. There's no geniuses in here. Especially now, I'll tell you, I left my genius badge a long time ago. I just like, half the time during this time, man, I'm just floating along trying to figure out how to go, right? Trying to hear God's voice. And it's a good place to be in because then we go, hey, We'll measure it. We'll confess our sins. 
And guess what will happen? He's faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. And guess what then happens? You get healed of your brokenness. You get healed of your pain, your depression, your heaviness, physically, right? So all kinds of good things happen, right? He purifies us from unrighteousness, which then makes us able to live in the realm of God's kingdom with grand and, and tremendous authority. I don't think the church has even exercised a tiny bit of the authority we really have in prayer. So we can't be distracted from that place. And foremost in the thing is like being weak ourselves, confessing our own failings. Be careful how we throw stones with each other and with the world, right? And not be anxious to throw stones at anybody too fast. Try, try to slow down a little bit on that part, realizing your own problem, because actually the thing is, God has this. We just have to make sure we're tightly connected to Him. Then we'll take our bazooka of prayer and direct it wherever it needs to go, and we'll eliminate people from office. We'll cause things to stir up. We'll cause explosions to happen across the atmosphere. And, you know, one of the most significant things we're going to have is this National Day of Prayer. If we ever had a National Day of Prayer, I would think it would be now, Right? And so I just encourage you to come. I'm not sure how we're going to do it exactly, but I'll tell you what, we've seen some pretty difficult times fixed after those seasons of prayer. And I just think that this time of National Day of Prayer is more significant than maybe almost any other time we've had. For one thing, I think people are less worried about meeting together, right? So there we can do that. And uh, (laughs) I'm sorry if I popped anybody's balloon about the mask, but I just, I waited and waited till this point in time to say it when, when everything's sort of down, right? But if you, hey, one good thing about the mask, though, is, I'll just say, that's good, is at least it kept us aware, and I think maybe some of our politicians, to give them some credit, probably thinking, well, if you have masks, then it's going to make people more aware and not get in each other's face as much. So maybe that's maybe some good thing that came out of it. James chapter... <laughs> you guys stop that now. I've got to preach this sermon. Therefore, confess your sins to each other (laughs) and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mm. So are we using those weapons effectively? Elijah was a human being even as we are. What? You're comparing me to Elijah? Are you serious? Yes. He prayed earnestly. It would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. It ain't raining until I say so. And again he prayed, what? And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now he's comparing us to Elijah. He's comparing the church's prayers to Elijah's prayers. And think about it. On this side of the resurrection, we've got the blood of Jesus covering our sin. An open gate to heaven like never before. Only a few people could ever walk through that gate. Special prophets, special leaders, Moses and so on. They didn't walk through it very easily. But we can walk through that gate easily. How is it that we walk through? We can't walk through this gate and actually see the advantage of where we could go, right? But look what he says at the front. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So there's that, there's that part as well, right? Weakness, humility, right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A person that confesses, it, sees their own weakness. Elijah was a human being, just as we are. I mean, it's hard to believe. I mean, Elijah, I mean, all the stuff he saw him do, raising the dead and calling the weather down. Not going to rain for three years. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, and that's me. Wow. So one of our biggest issues is so much, maybe we shouldn't even be thinking as much as we think about this resistance of the righteous is what we can't do and what we think about more what we can do and what is available to us in the Lord we just take advantage of it and believe and trust Jesus for it, right? So I just saw an amazing thing. I snuck into the free love again, free to love again seminar. So how many of our leaders and people around have even just been so really discouraged and overwhelmed by the level of divorce in our area, right? And it's really high. But it's really high everywhere. But, and many of you have experienced that and the absolute pain and sorrow of it, right? And so it's difficult to cope, especially when divorce maybe happened to you in a way that maybe you just say, it's not my fault, you know, I tried everything. And so 
Maybe that's true. Maybe not. I don't know. But when you're honest, I think almost everyone can say, well, there was places where I could have at least done better, right? Maybe I didn't sin like the other party, but I probably could have done this better and that better. And so I was listening, and they had this Free to Love Again seminar, and I was just thinking, um, so if you look at C on your outline, we fight with weapons that are supernatural, prayer, confession, and faith in God's sufficiency. And so many, many people suffer for a long, long time over the effects of, of a divorce or a relationship that didn't work out, right? But the interesting thing is, I think that one of the answers is to just confess our own weakness and then release the other people from ever having to make it right. And if you can get to that place, that is a weapon. Can you imagine how many crazy decisions are made out of the pain of divorce? A remarriage you shouldn't have done, maybe the way you treated your kids, the decisions you had to make, this kid or not kid, you know, their kids, your kids, everybody, you know where you move all the whole thing of the effect of your life. And so I'm listening to the humility of what was going on in the Free Love Seminar. I just poked my head in, sat in the back, and I was just listening to, me, to them. And I, I was just uh, so amazed and overwhelmed. I thought, this looks so humble. This looks so sad. But this is so powerful. This is atomic weaponry being released against the very things that war against our heart, coming clean, coming honest, saying, I can see the things you did, but I also can see the things that I did. I am now formally owning the things that I did, and I can't do anything about the things that you did. You're going to have to deal with that, other than I forgive you and I let you off the hook. Now I'm going to live under the grace of God and live my life out. Okay, so that's easier said in a sentence. (laughs) then walked out, right? Because you could say it in a meeting where everybody's all hyped up and ready, excited, although I didn't see a whole lot of hype in your meeting, right? Because it, and it's the atmosphere it should have been. If I'd have sang a lot of hype, I'd have gone, you know, you know, like, I'm super duper now, you know. I was like, whoa, man, you know. And people come, and the good thing about the gathering that we did was it just people caught in contact with their weakness and really how far they needed to go realizing they hadn't quite forgiven and gotten totally free to love again yet. But they're working on it. And that's a really good thing. And maybe time and faith walk all that out, right? And uh, so that's a powerful weapon. Oh, how humble it is. You know, admitting things, talking about things, you know. It wasn't exactly like, you know, a big cheery thing with the music going and kumbaya and... (laughs) holding hands, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, you just remind him of all that crap again. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, but it's the right thing to do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just to forgive us from our part of it, right? And cleanse us from all the unrighteousness of it, either side. I'm clean. I'm ready to live my life. I am free to love again. I love the title, right? Carl, by God's grace, I hope this thing just keeps going and going, and you've been so faithful. How many years have you been doing that? 16 years, right? And it just pushed above 50 this time, right? 60 with Zoom. So let's ask God to give you 100 next year, or 200. I know you've been shooting for that. You've been wondering why it isn't any bigger. Well, why is it? Because that's not exactly the more official, beautiful, wonderful thing. Who wants to talk about their sin, right? But it's weak, but it's powerful. You that attended, maybe uh, you're just sort of have mixed emotions about that, but I just applaud you at the bravery it took to do that, to try to do real business and real work with God on this and be totally as honest as you possibly can and then let the big wave of God just hit you in the back and move you along to a new destination. And I don't care. And I tell you, those destinations are pretty good. Those destinations are financial destinations. Those destinations are physical healing destinations. When you're free to love again, you're free to receive again. Amen. So, Letter D on your outline. Third, we love, we allow the love of Abba Father to secure our hearts. And this is something we teach a lot in our church. 
But I'm, I'm noticing this now more in my everyday life. We have seminars on this and uh, all kinds of things, and I teach about this in my Life in the Spirit class. But it's centered around these verses. And this is something really, really essential, I think, for our time as we talk about the resistance of the righteous. You know what? If I am motivated on the inside by love and compassion and truth, you know, I have the softness of love but the uh, commitment to truth, I can do anything. I, I, I can do anything because God's Spirit will be with me, right? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So sometimes when we start acting like, we, we act like slaves, you can even act like a slave in the name of righteousness, right? So that you live in fear again. It's just fear. I hate that spirit of fear. Don't let it grip your heart in this season and time. Don't let it do it. So sometimes people do really brave things and outward and, and you know, outward and focused things and they're terrified. I don't want to be terrified. Especially if I'm going, you know, and, and they have to get lathered up just to get their courage up to face that what might be happening to our culture or whatever. We don't have to do that. God's in control. If we gather together, let's just make sure that we're praying prayers of faith and not presumption that we're telling the truth as best we can, right? Because we're not, we don't have to be slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption and sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we're God's kids. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, uh, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what we're really talking about here is Abba, Daddy, but we're talking also about courage. Because when Abba, Daddy's beating my heart, I can do anything. I can respond to anything. I can quit anything. I can keep going with anything. Whatever I have to do, I can do because God will be behind me. It's only when Abba's not in there talking to me, I can hardly do anything. The spirit of fear makes us slaves, right? And so part of the resistance of the righteous is being in contact with that. And so we go way out of our way to talk about this all the time. A secure heart in the world can overcome anything. This insecurity and fear and panic does not help anything. I don't care how many people you have in a large auditorium. If you're all terrified and fearful of something, it isn't very productive. You see what I'm saying? Secure heart can overcome anything. Not secure because like you're part of the ruling class, you've got a lot of money and you've got a lot of influence and you know those rascals at the top and how honorary they are and you want to slap them around because you have the authority to do so. That's different. That's arrogant. Just leaves you in the same place. So it really is amazing because you can get arrogant Republican and you can get arrogant Democrat. I see it both. I watch it. I just would like someone to not be arrogant for a while humble enough, you know, whichever side you're on, and, and just walk that thing however it needs to be walked. All right? And I have my political preference, believe me. I was raised in that, born in it. Don't see any chance of me changing anytime soon. But I can recognize arrogance when I see it. And so that's what we have to do. When the foundation will be shaken, we just can't go to that place, right? The love of the Father is the one that does the best for us. And can I just say that right now is the greatest opportunity in the history of our country to lead people to Jesus. Right? It is. If we could just give them compassion and have to ask their party affiliation before we lead them to Jesus. <laughs> and if they've been in that other party for long enough, it's going to take a while for the cooties to come off, right? It's going to take a while. <laughs> Right? And I didn't say which party. I just said, right? But it's okay. You can love them into that place, right? That's part of our job, no matter ornery. They are. How about the Apostle Paul? He was a little bit ornery. God whacked him, and look what happened. I wonder how many other zealous Pauls are out there. Sometimes I see people and they're zealous and they're charging, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I wish the church had that much zealous. They're so zealous. It's like, and that's the scary thing about our time is it's almost like they're bowing down to a religion, you know. I think, man, I recognize religion, but you're just bowing down to the wrong person, but I, 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 I admire your zeal. At least you believe in something. You have conviction about something, right? But you know, the thing is, I think that this security in our heart is really important. It makes us 
like the salt and light company that we are, Matthew 5, we're the salt eaters, we're the light of the world. But the thing that makes the salt and the light go the best is this amazing adoption of the uh, of, uh, uh, learning that we're sons and daughters and, and having that love in us, a love of God and assured that He loves us and He's going to be with us and helping to secure our hearts so that we could actually be brave enough to say, this was my part in the divorce, I did it, you know. And, and then also be able to say, well, you know, that's probably your part of the divorce side, but, you know, I let you off the hook. That's a lot. And how many other things like that? Just got into the family area because we just had our thing. But I, I was just thinking about what a weapon it is. We fight with weapons that the world doesn't have. And it's so important that we use them. On the National Day of Prayer, how many of you ever just gathered and, and prayed for your nation with other people? That you know, If there ever was a time we did it, it would probably be now. It's a good time. Right? And it's just part of our responsibility and duty, but also our privilege. We get to go to the Most High God and say, Father, things are a mess. We're part of it. Here's our part. Now, this is the other part. This is things you've got to take care of that we don't even know about. There are things that are being done secret we don't even know about. We thought we knew about it because we had Fox News, but... <laughs> Lo and behold, they didn't even know how bad it is. Right? Or whatever, right? So this security in the heart has really got me. Uh, and of course, we've talked about this a lot. I talked about it in my life in the spirit class. And um, we'll be taking another round, round at the Father, I think maybe near Father's Day. And in my life in the spirit class, I'm just right at that space where we're talking about these, these things, about how God does this, how he adopts you on the inside. You, you cry. It's an animal shriek. Abba, Daddy. The ability to feel it. The spirit testifying with your spirit that you're God's children. So... It's a good feeling. It's very powerful. It undoes a lot of things. It's so much powerful. I've never had anything like the love of the Father do anything to me like that. I, it undo, it's done me from the inside out in every way you could possibly imagine. You know, I've had power. I've had uh, fell into the power of the Spirit. I've I've seen amazing things happen when I prayed, but I've never seen anything quite like when the love of God comes a roost in my heart and melts me right down on the floor, right? And that's what He can do, right? So the thing is, what I'm learning is this hour, I'm, I'm learning to get the Father's eyes in the current crisis we're, in, crisis we're in, especially for the homeless and other people that I see there. You know, I, I, I'm finding myself changing because I see the need, but I'm also getting the resource of heaven to fill the need. I was in the restaurant the other day, and uh, I've been in this one restaurant I really like, and so um, in the corner, there's always a homeless person in the corner there. And I can tell that uh, she's not doing well. I think she's mentally ill, and she's not just homeless. And she's talking to herself, and she's there for hours on end, just in that one little place. And every time I go there, she, there she is. And I just looked at her, and I, I make sure that when I go in a place like that these days, I just make sure I make contact with her. I said, hello, how are you? You know, And just treat her as a normal person. Nice to see you today. Doing okay? Okay, and that's it. You know, I mean, It wasn't anything profound. I wasn't trying to get her healed or help her, but... One of the hardest things for the homeless is being ignored and, 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 and maybe um, feel like they're not a person anymore. And I, I just think that uh, that's not right. The Father's eyes will help you to do better, right? To see more. And you don't have to ask, oh man, I wonder why they're this way or their failure or that failure. I don't know. Sometimes it's not a failure at all. Sometimes it's a mental illness. Sometimes it's other things. Well, sometimes it was abuse by a parent. Whatever, whatever it doesn't even matter. So I found myself going, you know, and I just started feeling this compassion for this guy. And I, I went to the store manager, and I could tell he had at times been a little uncomfortable with this whole thing because she's like in the corner, right? She's got like a whole couple of tables there and everything, and it's a kind of a small place, right? And I just went up to him and I said, thank you so much for making room for that lady. This is probably the only place she has to go that she feels safe during the day. Thank you for doing that. A good job. And he thought I was going to say, when I brought up the homeless, he thought I was going to say, and so he started back to his part going, oh, well, we've been trying to, I, I said, no, no, you're doing a great job. Thank you. I admire you. I'll come to this place because you're doing that. I just think that's an amazing thing. And he goes, he, he looked at me and he goes, shock. He goes, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, good job. <laughs> that's what we should be. Okay. So the thing is, when the Father's eyes come, you see people differently. 
Now, there's a difference between I ought to see people differently and I do see people differently. So that's why we talk about the Father's love. There is something in God that will help you to see people. Sometimes we get it from our brokenness, from our own pain. That's a good way to get it. I mean, that's the way most people do. But you can even get it by just being letting God minister to you. The Holy Spirit will just come on you in a a weakness and a compassion in you. So part of the Holy Spirit infilling is not only speaking in tongues, raising the dead and casting out demons. That's the faith power part of it. But the other part of it is the love part, which is my favorite part. There's another part called the revelation part. That's why we're a revelatory church. That's why we prophesy and get words and always listening, you know, to God. But there's this other part called compassion, which God brings and imparts to you. And the, and the moment that happened to me, it changed my life and the trajectory of my life forever and ever and ever. I wanted to go to an Angels baseball game because I had my friend from Switzerland there because I love baseball. And God spoke to me and said, go to this little thing, this guy's house. Some of you know the story. And I went there in a bad way the whole time, angry, upset. Why am I going to this place? I, would, I want to go to this game. Besides, my friend from Switzerland's here, never seen a baseball game. We could have a blast. We're going to have a great time. I'm going to explain everything to him. And he looked at me like I was crazy when I told him I was going to a newcomer's gathering, newcomer's thing, right? And so I went there, and I, thought, and I sat through the meeting, mostly uh, in a bad mood, just listening. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I'm a pastor. I know you don't ever do that here, but just in case, I'm a pastor, and I was doing it to somebody, another pastor, right, sitting there. And lo and behold, the spirit of God fell on me, and I couldn't even recognize it because it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. It was a compassion that just seemed to fill me up from the top to the bottom, uh, and broke me made me do weird things, falling down on the floor crying for no apparent reason, which I don't even know if my wife ever saw me cry, period, much less for no apparent reason, but I became a big crybaby. And I had to have actually explain to me what in the heck was going on, right, and where in the Bible that is. But the thing about it is, is God's what we call salt and light company. I've noticed that this has served me well because not only did it touch me here, but it gives you different eyes for the people around you so that you see them. And when you can see a person in a different light, then every once in a while God will speak to you about what to do, but otherwise you just pray for them, right? But you even have the freedom in that. Because I feel people get so guilty, you know, sometimes. They'll see a homeless person or whatever and think they should do more. I don't ever feel guilty. I just do what I can do and that's it, you know. Or maybe I'll go and not feel guilty if I felt like I didn't do enough or whatever. But rarely, because I'm rooted in the love of the Father. And if I miss, I say, oh, Father, I'm sorry about that. I'll try to do better next time. I'm okay. You know what I mean? Instead of carrying guilt. and The worst thing that anybody could guilt, uh, carry, the hardest thing that anybody could carry is condemnation and guilt. It does not lead you to be any more holy or better or whatever. It just makes you mean and irritated and legalistic, right? That's what condemnation does for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Roman number three. In this time, there is need to practice wisdom and diligence that the Lord will give uh, to us if we're faithful to ask. Satan is trying to destroy our families and the moral fiber of our nation The Bible declares, resist the devil and he will flee from you. God loves justice. We will see his face in the battles we fight. We will see his face in the battles we fight. He loves justice. So we can be just but not obnoxious. We have to be obnoxious. We'll do it in Jesus' name under the love of the Father. That's the difference between that kind of obnoxiousness and just being obnoxious. For the Lord is righteous, but he loves justice. The upright will see his face and will do what he says. It might not look that good to everybody else. It's just a matter of your own heart. But you'll see his face because he loves justice. And I want to see his face and then do justice. How about you guys? That's kind of what we talk about with the love of the Father. He will help us fight the fiery ordeals of our day. 1 Peter 4, 12-7. I want to just read that passage and then I'll finish with Luke chapter 18. We'll be done today. Or maybe we'll just begin today, right? What are we doing special today? We have something special going. Oh, for all you newcomers. Yes, we're going to be eating out under the tent, by the way. By the way, you're going to love what comes next with our building project. It's going to be great, especially out here in the 
outside. We're going to be actually have a cool little fountain that we can baptize people outside. Sing, and, and and we'll sing Kumbaya and all that. It's going to be great. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you, uh, come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm on the end of this, but I'm still thinking, like, this is still, all this stuff, like, don't be surprised. I'm still surprised. I mean, really, honestly, at the fire ordeal that's on the world, I keep thinking, I thought, you know, this is going to part, you know, you know, this government stuff and all that crazy fighting and bickering, and then the COVID thing, I thought, ah, oh, this will be done in a few months, we'll be back to normal. Well, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on your test as though something strange were happening to you. It is strange. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's what we get. We get glory. The rest of the world gets something else. Somebody else's story. We get his story, his glory, right? Somebody else's, like, whatever it is that they want to impose on us. We get glory. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are? Ooh. You can say a little louder. Okay, we're going to do it again. If you can read the scripture. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Wow. Hopefully we haven't had to have too much of that. But anyway, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now as believers, the United States of America, we haven't had to deal a lot with this. But we may have to in the future. So just remember this passage, and we have already more than maybe we've ever experienced before. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, right? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So this judgment comes. It's, it's not a judgment of like, Beat us up, beat all the believers up. No, it's a judgment like, wow, there's trouble in the earth. Examine your own motives, examine your own place, what you did to participate in this, whether it's brokenness in your family or life or your nation, and move on with the Lord. So this has been a time of examination of the church. Wow, hasn't it been? What an examination. And I tell you what, people have stood up and I've been so surprised. People maybe I didn't respect that much, when I'm watching them stand up and I'm going, I will never speak ill of you again. <laughs> you got more courage in your little finger than I got in my whole body. I can't believe you just did that. And I just so, wow, it's just this whole thing is like turning, you know, helping us to understand things from a whole different viewpoint. Now here it is. However, this is the last thing. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the question is, Jesus has already been coming. He's going to keep on coming. He's going to keep on coming. He's going to do more during this time because God gives grace to the humble. He is going to help us. He's going to help you with your jobs. He's going to bring whole new careers that are being invented as we speak. You can't keep the people of God down. We get more, not less, out of this whole thing. If we look hard enough, just pray a little bit, look a little bit, you'll see that there's more, not less in this thing. You may be experiencing less, but there's actually more. And how do you know that there's going to be more? Well, simply because if you can't believe anything else and God's goodness or anything else, you can do this. You can ask Him for more, and He won't hold out on you. And then you've got to believe what you prayed. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable showing that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to Him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time He refused, but finally He said to Himself, I don't fear God, I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> I guess I have permission to attack the Lord now. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see if they get justice. And quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, we find faith on the earth. So let's just make sure that our faith is directed in first place first. First place is wear God out till he brings justice. Pray with each other. Pray to God. Don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. Attack the Lord. He likes it. He can take it, right? 
until justice comes. He draws you out. I don't even know why he does that. Why does he do that? I don't know why he does it. If I were him, I wouldn't do that. I'd go easier on us. But he likes this tenacity, this, this veracity. He likes it. And somehow in the process of it, pursuing him radically and not getting bitter or angry or blaming or you know, just condemning or even and, and the anger of the other side, you know, the, the downright irrationality of the whole thing, we just keep praying. We just keep looking. And we keep looking for the best. We keep looking the best in our circumstances. If I lost my job because of COVID, I'm going to find a better one. I'm going to get double for my trouble. Right? And if I'm having a misunderstanding with my relatives over some of this stuff and everything, it's just an opportunity because God will lead me and they're going to do better. Everybody's going to do better. God that says, and all things work together for the good of them and love the Lord and call according to His purpose. We just have to do the things He says to do and God will do it. It may mean more humility than we're used to and it may be more, we may mean more grace in the place of humility, but it will work. This lifestyle will work. There's no reason to believe that we're going to finish in second place or last place. Back to this song, right? It's just such a word. You could just like make this your sort of, uh, uh, put that up, would you? But in Psalm 11, just put this, put it up. Verse 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I just told you, right? And you could probably add a few things to it, right? I think... One thing we have to be careful about how is how we handle truth and how we're arrogant about truth. Whatever you do, even if you handle truth and you know it, don't be arrogant with it because if you, the moment you get arrogant, people can't hear anymore. You see what I'm saying? You've got to be careful with that. So we're going to have some classes, I think, probably this summer that are pretty cool about the roots of our country and all kinds of stuff like that and everything. But whatever you do, whatever new knowledge you get and you discover how bad the other side really is or real negative or what you discovered is even worse than you thought, Whatever you do, don't go down the arrogant path. Most of them are just acting like sinners. They're just like you were. You had your own brand. Well, my brand was better than theirs. At least I didn't do this. Oh, really? You think God's up there going, measuring it? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, his sin, like, yeah, that's okay, you know. No, I think sin, sin, it all stinks, right? Right? Amen. Let's all stand. So, Lord, I just think... uh, Okay, so I'm hoping that what happened here as I was just speaking is I opened the portals of heaven for you in the place where God said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So I hope you see the opportunity here. If God be for you, who can be against you? Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things are working together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. My prayer life touches instantly right into the throne room of God. I would love to go see President Biden tell him a thing too. I'd go love to see a couple of congressmen. I don't have to. I go right above him. I'm, gonna, I'm going above his head. I'm going right to the throne room of grace. And I'm going to tell God what I think is what's what. And then He's going to tell me what really is what what. And then we're going to work it out. Right? So could I just do this as we end today? I think it would be great. Um, so I'm looking at all of you, and all of you have your various issues and things, right, that you, you're dealing with. Uh, whether it's a divorce issue, a family issue, uh, an issue with the government, a job issue, a uh, decision about whether to move or not. Uh, uh, you, maybe you're f- suffering physically an illness or whatever. But I just believe there's a wonderful open heaven here for anybody that would just like to ta- pause for a moment and just ask God for something, right? So we're just going to do some worship. And if you would like to do that, that would be great. And so um, we'll have some ministry team up here as well if you would like to pray with someone. So if I could have the ministry team come up, anybody that's on our... Well, we say ministry team, we mean people that will be glad to pray with you if you'd like to pray. And if you want to just pray by yourself, say no thank you and just pray. But I just encourage you, just take a moment, take five minutes. You can do it from your seat even. You don't have to come up here if you don't want. But if you'd like to pray with some, sometimes it's very helpful because we found out when we pray for one another... And we get healed. We get touched in a way that we didn't know. It's one of God's instruments to use, little old us, to, where two or three gather together. Remember that scripture, right? So you'd like to pray with somebody. If you'd like to pray from your seat, just take a moment and pause. For you that are newer to us, we would just love to have you uh, join us out under the tent. It's really easy. The food's already ready, and you can hang out with us and, and uh, just work with us as we uh, just...
get out there and we'll just talk about our church a little bit more and, and let you go as soon as we can. But enjoy some food with us, make some, maybe enjoy some other leaders, that kind of thing, all right? All right, so for one of you during this worship, if you'd like to pray, just take a moment of prayer. Come up here. It might be good to come up here. Sometimes it feels better to come up and pray in the front because you're not distracted. But if you want to pray from your seat, do it. And if you need to go, if you could leave quietly, that would be great too, all right? But I just like to pray. I just feel like there's some things that maybe you could lift up to heaven right now. And maybe you've said it 15 times before. But it's different when you say it and you're not complaining. You're not worried. You're saying, Father, here I am. Thank you for the place you brought me to. Now in the name of Jesus, would you have mercy on me? All right? And if you do it with another person, I think sometimes it's even more powerful. So I just want this to be a house of prayer. For you that have to leave or are hungry and want to get an early start on the tent, that's fine too. If you could just leave as quietly as you could, but we just make this into a little house of prayer for the next 10 minutes or so, okay? Father, as we lift our prayer requests up to you, I pray you would hear from heaven. I pray today would be a special day, even. And I pray for people that have been praying over stuff for a long time. I'm thinking about lost kids. I'm thinking lost jobs. I'm thinking an illness in our body that just hasn't seemed to move. You know, today might be our day. Be it done to you according to your faith and your calling out. Do it from your seat if you like. Come up to the front. One thing I'd encourage you to do is be mindful of other people that might be in this house of prayer and doing significant business with the Lord. And just try to be quiet about the way you talk around them and all that. And again, we'll have the newcomers and we'll be out there eating lunch and have a great time here in just a minute, okay? Amen.